The year is 1973. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. And this is My Marvelous Year. Welcome to My Marvelous Year Comic Book Reading Club, where we read all the best and most important Marvel comics from its origins to today. I'm Zach, the comic book newbie, and alongside Dave, a certified six fiend, we're going to be covering the comics of 1973. (laughs) That's right. Certified six fiend. I appreciate it. (laughs) The the weirdest line that we write all year. Yeah, that's true. I actually have a diploma with that um, right above my computers here. (laughs) That's like a real it's framed and everything. That's a real Tobias Fumke. Oh, totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So welcome to My Marvelous Year. We're going to be getting into part two of 1973 today. We've got some uh, cool comics to go through, including the origins of Blade. Never been more topical than we are recording uh, a few days after San Diego Comic-Con and the announcement that Mahershala Ali is going to play Blade in some future state in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mahershal? Mahershala, right? Hmm, maybe. That just sounded very Jewish. Mahershal. <laughs> Mahershal Ali. Oh, yeah. is that correct? I, I think I thought it was Mahershala. Whoever I mean, is wrong, please forgive us. I li- I've been saying Mahershala, so if I'm wrong here, oh, no, you're right. Call like, me on that, that really, maybe I'm pronouncing it way too, like, phonetically. Because well, the way how, you how say you it say actually, it? like, makes Mahershala? sense when I'm looking at it. Mahershala? Intriguing. I think Intriguing. I, I'm saying it a little too broken up. You, you've got to... Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll we'll look that up. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. So here's the thing. You can always write to us at mymarvelousyear at gmail.com with questions for variant covers or no prizes uh, is something we do in our um, exclusive Slack community channel. So if you want to win a no prize on pronunciation this episode, I'm sure there will be more opportunities, but you can start with that great actor who was cast as blade um we've also got we've got some good shang chi stuff man we're really tied into into phase four today i'm pretty pumped for that yeah Um, yeah yeah definitely and then avengers defenders war which is tied into nothing but itself (laughs) it isn't yeah 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 except uh i don't know i mean between avengers defenders war and the jungle action i feel like this is the first like yeah how could you forget uh yeah the first two like i don't know big long form stories that like i don't know i feel like we've been dabbling with long form storytelling like i mean we had the galactus saga we had the scroll kree war i guess but like crossovers this is definitely the first like jumping back and forth between issues yeah i think tell one avengers scroll war is kind of the kind of the beginnings of this definitely going into the bronze age of something that is like Basically what we consider now like a trade paperback collected edition, you know, like your six to some issues that that tell one story and Jungle Action, the Black Panther story we're going to talk about today, the start of it, Rage of the Panther is that and then some. And um, so is Avengers Defenders War, which hops back. It's the first time we've seen 
a comic story in Marvel hop between titles. It's going to go from Avengers to Defenders back and forth in what we now recognize as a very familiar crossover pattern. Um, but it's the first comic we've seen do this more than like one or two times. I think we've seen a handful of like read this, then that's. This is the biggest one for sure. Oh, I don't even remember having seen that before, but but maybe um, like it jumping between between issues. We've either seen and, it or we're about to see it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and it's funny because it was like 1971, I think, that we were ta- we were like debating what Marvel was talking about because in their letters page, they had this whole thing about that they were going to stop doing multiple issue stories and only focus on single issue self-contained stories. And it's just like two years later, that's completely out the window for the better, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and this will be become more recognizable as I think Marvel Comics we're going to know moving forward. So without further ado, let's get into the comics we're going to talk about today. And as always, everything you're listening to here from Zach and myself is brought to you by Community Support. We are entirely listener-supported over on Patreon.com. And the, uh, the kickbacks from Marvel Unlimited. Well, the kickbacks from specifically uh, Marvel Unlimited, where yeah. every time we say those words, uh, we we find a penny. We just luckily mm-hmm. find yeah. a penny if we say it. So <laughs> you might hear us mention that a lot is the best place to actually get to these comics at an affordable rate. Um, you know, you're joking, but I've I genuinely have tried to get an affiliate relationship between Combo Herald and Marvel Unlimited, and they used to do it, but it was like before i had really started cbh in earnest and had any sense of monetization and yeah. man could i make a buck if every time somebody decided on cbh that uh that marvel limited was worth it and actually bought it that um if i made some money i would not be working a professional gig if that were the case i'll tell you that right now yeah i mean it, it is kind of the obvious like i mean everyone who listens to this uses it anyway unless you're a pirate in which case you're under arrest you but... filthy pirate yeah, I mean it's fine. I pirated one no. of these issues today because it wouldn't work on Marvel Unlimited for me. So, uh, yeah, did Vampire that, that was my work for you? <laughs> that was my hardline stance on pirating. <laughs> you filthy pirate! <laughs> Just develop that now. Um, what was your question? Did Vampire Tale number two work for you? Is that the first Marvel issue Unlimited? we're talking about? No, no, no. But oh, like literally, did Mar- it work? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's, oh, number... Except the scan is kind of garbage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think. I think the pirated scan is the same one. Like, you can see the seams of the the comic. Anyway, yeah. this is very boring. Um, okay, Hang on, so let's, tell uh, me more about these seams. They were... A little wrinkled? A little no, frayed? No, 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 they were pretty smooth. It just, like, you could see the shadow. You know, it's like you're aware that you're looking at a photograph instead of a scan. The so, tomb of shadow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Real real good stuff. Let's, let's start. So... <laughs> The first comic we're going to talk about today is Avengers number 113. And I'm assuming you were super stoked when you saw, like, just the sheer amount of Avengers that we've done the last several years. That said, I'm kind of expecting some good news here. What did you think of Avengers number 113? I was fussy at first. Um, Full stop. I was, yeah, I was kick, <laughs> kick, kicking my booties. I was throwing my pacifier on the floor. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't take the bottle. But eventually... Full on tantrum. Yeah. <laughs> eventually, I came around, and this became pretty fun. Um, I liked 113, actually, the first one that we did. But then yeah. part of the uh, the Avengers Defender War. That one took a little while for me to warm up, like once we got past the setup. Because um, this is all Steve Englehart. Well, he does the Roy Thomas text box thing a lot, where it's just like, I'm looking at these pages, and I'm like... This would be better without text. Like, the art is telling the story. Stop writing. 
Like that yeah. that happened quite a bit here. And that that was frustrating for a while, but I, I warmed up. Yeah, so Avengers 113, again, like you said, Steve Englehart. We've also got Bob Brown on art here. And this one is a bit of a social allegory. Uh, the issue is called Your Young Men Shall Slay Visions. And the topics in 113 are are not, um, what's the word? They are not like easy <laughs> in any measure. You know, it's taking on religious extremism. It's taking on, uh, uh, what do you call it? Like interracial marriage. Thank you. Taking on interracial yeah. marriage. And basically you were going to say miscegenation. I could see it forming on your lips. Dave. It was right there. Yeah. Just my, <laughs> I, my I mean, it, it's taking days. on like religious, um, the religious rationalization for banning racial intermarriage. Yes. Right? Which is like, yes, was the, that, that was the tactic used. My mother went to, um, my mother was thinking of going to a Christian college, uh, when she was younger, and she uh-huh. told me that they it used to explicitly ban interracial coupling on campus. Wow! Uh, and then, and then by the time she got there or planned on going there, uh, it was not explicit anymore, but it was definitely implicit. Sure. So I mean, this is a thing. It was uh, this is nineteen seventy three. Nineteen sixty seven is when the Supreme Court finally banned banned the banning of interracial marriage. So we're six mm. years out from like half the country not allowing it legally so this is i mean it's still a very pressing topic well and i i see it in the modern lens as uh as a conversation around same-sex marriage as well because really what's happening here is someone observes wanda and the vision being romantic right Smooching Not like in the ruins of the statue of liberty which i love that they're like <laughs> it's, it's exactly that yeah they're ignoring the fact that the statue of liberty is crumb like literally crumbling around them to just get some smooches on well, and there's a if you're the the individual who freaks out over this and and hates seeing it, there's a metaphor to be had at America's strongest symbol crumbling around. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> These lovers. I'm in the surprised park. they didn't lean into that. I know. I, love I know the, the the fact that that guy, you know, that guy's furious watching them kiss, and then there's uh, the news is getting people on the street opinions, and the first two people are like, "Oh, who cares? Young love, it's beautiful," and he's just like, mm-hmm. "Oh, you hate to see it." And the uh, the text bubble from off screen is like edit this guy out, Bill. Just <laughs> a, a good little comedic beat there. Yeah, yeah, no, but basically this this individual is so mad about Scarlet Witches and you know unnatural romance is the language here, um, as she is fully committed now to the android vision, which I think we've talked about the complexity, some of the logistics <laughs> of how this works. So oh, grow up, here, Dave. But basically, right, exactly. But basically, it becomes <laughs> it becomes an extended metaphor and a clear one for um, relationships that are like outside of I don't know, just the standard man and woman of the same race. So like any issue that it can be can be compared to Vision and Wanda. I think. Yeah, even though like I think it's super clearly talking about interracial relationships because same sex marriage was not. <laughs> Or same-sex relationships was not on the radar at this point as, like, a social issue. And Marvel was not wading into those waters. Like, that would be giving them a lot of credit. That's that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think it's necessarily... I mean, you, you can see battle. it. You could put it there that way. But I don't think that was the, the case. I think that this is interesting and trying to be on the right side of things. Mm-hmm. But they don't... They have a couple little weird details here that, like, undercut their strong moral stance that they take okay. against this. One of which is that there's this really uncomfortable joke where a Native American woman comes up to give a cake to the Avengers okay. and says something like, 
oh, we heard Vision has red skin, so I just brought a cake for my brother. And mm. it's like, ugh, a red skin joke? Like, that's... And and then she speaks like a black person. Like, she's got... She's like, for a soul brother or something. But yeah. it's clearly... An, and it also looks like a Native American grandmother. So the joke is confused and pretty uncomfortable. That's not surprising. Uh, I will... I will definitely call out, there is still a football organization using that as their team oh, name. Oh, well, yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, but so listen, I'm not shocked Dave. that they use that. Not, I'm not condoning No, it. no, no. I love the team, though, so it can't be racist. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> That's, we haven't talked about this, but Zach, the biggest Washington professional football franchise fan yeah, check I've mate. ever met. Yeah. Uh, the, the other thing that it does that like kind of undercuts this is that generally this organization that is opposed to this android mutant pairing and it's actually not really about mutants it's more about androids taking over yeah um they decide to suicide bomb and that's their main tactic they're going to suicide bomb the avengers yeah and the first one who comes up to vision and blows herself up is a black woman which like undercuts the metaphor a little bit i get you know they're like saying we're not talking about interracial marriage we're talking about android marriage or whatever but like having that you know like it just muddies the water <clears throat> and muddies the metaphor i think yeah i mean it's been that's been a little picky but i feel like the the message would be stronger if they were trying to be more consistent with their tying into you know real world things and most black women were probably not well i don't know <laughs> actually maybe i shouldn't talk about you know the opinions of i mean i i Oh boy! I think lumping them. Oh boy, yeah, Dave. no, I think it gets into very some, dangerous waters. Very I just quickly, got into some deep. Of us. I just did. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Back. Back it out. Back it out. <laughs> We're gonna swim out of those waters for a second. I think. I think the thing is, you can't. You can't say, "Here's what all groups of people." Yeah. Here's what yeah, their attitudes would be towards a thing. Yeah. And that's. I mean, that's kind of what the comic is doing. But. Saying, but I, I do they feel can, s- they can feel one way, or they can fit into this religious extremist version. Um, it it could go either way, right? That's kind of okay. the reality I, of our world. But let me just like I want to make sure clarify my point. I do think it's pretty safe to say the majority of people who are actually fighting interracial relationships were white and had the political power and the actual repercussions for being in part of those relationships did not come down as hard on the white participant in those relationships. So I think I think that's fair to say. I just want to make sure that <laughs> I get that historical context. I just uh just felt myself sinking into that argument a little bit, sinking into yeah. the sand. Okay, yeah, so uh, the rest of this issue is Vision gets exploded just a little bit, uh, but luckily we have the blueprints of his insides from when Ant-Man explored them, and he is getting some surgery from Dr. Donald Blake, and God, I love the moment where Thor is like, oh, we need a doctor. I'll, I'll go get Dr. Blake. I, I know him. Like, that yeah. is just so immediately thin that Thor is the one who's like, oh, I know where the doctor is. Like, they have no excuse for that, and it's very fun. I mean... At least Tony Stark and Iron Man, it's like a bodyguard relationship thing. Yeah, it is interesting how how worn out secret identities are at this point, you know? It's just like and they, they're just waiting for them to end, and they never do. <laughs> like, this carries on well, forever. Okay, but in this this issue, Tony Stark says, uh, like, Donald Blake is done, and Tony Stark's like, Well, Dr. Blake, why don't you get go get Thor? If he happens to be in the same room you walk into, yeah. I won't tell. And he literally winks at him. And then Thor says, uh, like... You know, have we known each other's secret identities all this time? Are we just playing with each other? Which I think is really funny that, like, they're all really bad at their secret identities around each other. Like, Thor literally just is like, oh, go get Dr. Donald Blake. He walks into the bathroom, and then uh, Dr. Blake walks out. Oh, yeah, Thor's Thor's in the bathtub. Just don't open the curtain. Right, right. Well, and you get a sense, too, that, like, the the founding Avengers, or the ones who've been at it longer, 
they all have a a general understanding. You know, you spend enough time with people in a job, <laughs> you start to pick up on things, and it's sort well, of you like, know what? they'll like... politely respect it, but they all kind of. I think one thing you realize later is like there's a sense that like yeah, we all we all know or we all knew. You know, you just don't talk about it. I loved that they acknowledged that they knew each other's identities, and that you know this is way at the end, but at the end of the Avengers Defenders War, when Doctor Strange is resetting everything magically, he mentions. Oh, and I will also erase the memory of their secret identities from Thor and Iron Man's brains. Mm. And, like, undoes that. And it's so weird. It's like, why? I feel like they did that, and then the editorial team was like, ah, no, we gotta, we can't have that stick. Even though it didn't play into anything. And it was, it's kind of a bummer. Yeah, it is. It's one of those, it's really like, I don't know, it's just this comic trope that hangs around. And they, they feel so beholden to in a way that now just seems like super antiquated. It's one of the more antiquated things about older comics is the idea that like not even your colleagues, because like what's the harm in Thor knowing Tony Stark is Iron Man? Like really, you know, if you think about it, it's not right. a villain yeah. knowing yeah. it's not, you know, it's like if the Avengers know each other's secret identities, it's really no big deal. <laughs> it's just this weird thing to cling to. Um, and it doesn't come up a lot either, you know, no, that they can't yeah. know. Like that doesn't really come up as a plot point, except for when Tony's like, let me find Iron Man, everyone. And and makes a show of it, and they're all just sitting there like, why? And then he crawls under a table, and Iron yeah, Man yeah. comes out. <laughs> they're like, why is Tony? Why is he changing in the corner and pretending we can't see him? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, anywho, Avengers number one thirteen. I think it is. It's a very interesting issue. Um, like we talked about, you know, a bunch with the implications. It also, I mean, it treats. Um, I don't know. It turns to like religious fundamentalism and and like real genuine terror threats in ways that are sadly all too relevant today. Yeah, um, sure. And it tackles that in 1973. So I think it gets a lot of importance in that regard. Um, it can be, you know, it's one of those ones that I would say, like, it can be kind of hard to read, depending on what's happening in the world or your, or your state of affairs, you know. So, you know, keep that in mind heading into this yeah. one. Yeah, sure. So let's uh, let's next go into yeah. Avengers Defenders War. We are oh, you want to do that? A little yeah. bit. Yeah. Okay. So this is the big crossover throughout the year. It is written primarily by the writer we just talked about, Steve Englehart. And basically what's going to happen here, and we put the reading order in the uh, list notes, but you're going to hop from Avengers to Defenders, back to Avengers to Defenders, all the way on through of what is a pretty lengthy story arc. Um, a big picture. I don't want to go through like every issue. Definitely, no, Zach, no, no, details no. you want to do, you know, let's share them. But big picture, what happens here is Loki has been blinded <laughs> and cast out of Asgard in a previous Thor story. And basically, he, while floating through Mystic Dimensions, bumps into Dormammu. And Dormammu and Loki, blind Loki, band together in order to put together this mystic artifact known here as the Evil Eye. And in doing so, and in trying to find this, they sort of combine their forces and might to pit the Avengers and defenders against one another. No, 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 no. This is the. Does that happen sorry, all on their no. own? No. Okay. So what happens is that Dormammu wants to collect all the separate. Pe- he wants to send the defenders out to collect all the pieces of the evil eye for him, mm-hmm. and he tricks them into thinking uh, the Black Knight, who's another Avenger, has been turned into stone by the Enchantress, and the only Dormammu tricks them into thinking the only way to turn him back is to collect all these artifacts. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a video game, and then very video gamey. Oh, yeah, for sure. And then Loki and Dormammu are together, and Loki realizes that Dormammu wants to collect these so that not to take over Earth, but to, like, expand his own dimension to, like, absorb Earth's dimension. And then if that happens, what's to stop him from taking over Asgard? So at that point, he realizes he doesn't actually want to be 
allied with Dormammu anymore. And yep. he sends a secret message to the Avengers saying the Defenders are collecting the evil eye, you know, for their own dark purposes. And he, like, pits them against each other. So Loki is rooting for them to not collect all the pieces. And the Defenders are trying to collect them under the behest of Dormammu. So it's kind of like either one of them winning is bad. Yeah, right. Yeah, And really what it is, is it's an excuse to do sort of an early Civil War. Secret Wars. Oh, Civil War. Okay. I was going to say Yeah, Secret just Wars. hero versus hero. You know, yeah, basically yeah, is yeah. what we're getting. Um, you know, you get things like the Hulk and Thor. You get Hawkeye, weirdly here, is mostly on the side of the Defenders. He's actually one of the more interesting crossed over characters because throughout this, he's actually like, he's he's that former Avenger kind of now partnered with the Defenders, which is not a an affiliation that's going to last for super long. In oh, he leaves history. at the end of this. Yeah. <laughs> he leaves at the end of the arc. And but like, I, he also. I don't know that he really comes back as a Defender. I definitely don't yeah. think of him as a defender. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't love this story arc. I think it's a, it's a fun idea. I think, like you said, it definitely works better as a video game. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you know, know, you know. I, so I thought the setup took a little long. Um, like the first few issues setting up the the stakes and everything. Mm-hmm. But once it got running and once it just turned into the one on one fights, yeah, I really enjoyed it because they gave they gave all these fights time to breathe. Mm-hmm. Right, like basically every one of these fights was either a full issue or like half of an issue. So it was not like it wasn't like an annual where they packed six different fights in all at once. And it was always like one. I was on just going to say it reminds me a lot of Avengers Annual Number One, which yeah, is the one exactly. where they do yeah. combine six different fights all into one giant issue. It's that structure is is very much what it is. But like it'll dedicate the entire issue to you know the characters. So you get that are you get a lot of personality. It. You get like. The, the stakes get built throughout the fights. I mean, I, I don't think it's incredible, but like, no. I, I liked most of the fights. I uh, like Dormammu and Loki some... as villains who are both yeah. teaming up and simultaneously working against each other. I think yep. that's a yeah, cool they pairing. Have a, they have a good dynamic. And uh, we have like a few new Avengers and Defenders here. So like the Swordsman is part of the Avengers right now, mm-hmm. uh, as well as Mantis. The Swordsman we yep. know from before. He's like, he was kind of a villain. Now he's turned good. Uh, but Mantis, can you talk a little bit about her? Because I don't yeah. have much besides the MCU, and this is not the same character, I don't think. Right. So if you know the name Mantis, but not the comics, then you know Mantis is now a member of the Guardians of the Galaxy and the MCU. Mantis here is she starts out as a Steve Englehart written creation in the pages of Avengers. She is, I believe, of like East Asian descent. It might specifically be Vietnamese, but I could be just making that up wrong off the top of my head um she her power set is kind of ill-defined honestly she's she's kind of vague but she becomes really big in the sequence of avengers that Englehart is going to write throughout much of the 70s and in like kind of surprisingly giant cosmic ways so there's not she is not uh also she's not like green skinned and bug looking like she is in the no. MCU. She Mm-mm. is just a woman at this point in time. Half and Vietnamese, half German. Half FYI. Vietnamese, half German. I just okay. looked it up, yeah. Okay, thanks. Uh yeah, so I that's kinda that's kinda what I know about Mantis without spoiling anything. Um at this point she, in time. She's good at martial arts. That's really yeah, like what you get it, from here. And there's it's this generic. Like, and she learned it in the Himalayas, like she learned a mystic art of fighting or something so okay that if that's i wasn't sure if there's a little more I, m- I might go back and see if that the issue that introduced her is worth putting in extra issues which i think is the avengers one before this mm-hmm. yeah so we get them valkyrie is now part of the defenders and what's interesting about that is she's still like she's not 
brainwashed anymore by the enchantress but she's still a little brainwashed right like at yeah. one point hawkeye just grabs her and kisses her like out of nowhere she's not just like we or... saw him do to wanda not long ago oh he even mentions like now that i've been shot down by wanda and black widow and it's just like he just anything that moves huh like he's grabbing and smooching valkyrie's response here is excellent though she decks him and back off male chauvinist pig <laughs> valkyrie's going strong so which the she also is just like oh man like, that's who's a the... little Go on. i was gonna say the continuity of like who's the real valkyrie is a little confused because we saw her debut in that <laughs> issue where oh no actually she's the enchantress but now she comes back and she's actually valkyrie but she looks exactly the same <laughs> as this projection that enchantress was putting on and has like a pretty similar um perspective and sort of characterization well, th- she talks about like how she's still half hypnotized that's kind of the thing is like she still yeah. has the lingering lingering memories of being hypnotized and mm-hmm. they're still like poisoning her personality a bit so when that pops out she is like oh it's still you know it's like this is the enchantresses the the, the fingerprints of the enchantresses hypnotism or whatever are still on me i'm still reacting a little bit like i did before I hate it when you're half hypnotized and you're you're like out, you know, trying to go to the grocery store or whatever. Somebody claps and you only do like half a chicken wing, you know, and you're only <laughs> clucking out of one side of your mouth. It's so embarrassing. Or you're at the grocery store and you put a couple male chauvinist pigs up against the wall. <laughs> Just a couple. Yeah, you yeah. leave the rest of the male chauvinist pigs to buy their yeah. Bud Light or whatever. Um, <laughs> They're more. Anywho. Yeah. No, how dare you? Uh, so, <laughs> Avengers Defenders War, uh, how does it come to a close? Remind oh, me. Oh, well, no. I So, the the Defenders actually, right at the end, um, against all odds, Captain America and Namor are the two who, like, finally come together and talk. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, realize that they're not on opposing sides and they've been tricked. And it's because Sunrise pops up. Sunrise? No, Sunfire. Sunfire, Sunfire. from Japan. Because they're in Japan looking for this artifact pops up and they need to like fight a common enemy they discuss it whatever and so that brings the avengers and the defenders together which i think is really fun we get like a whole scene here of the avengers showing up at dr strange's mansion and them all speaking to each other and you get all these fun dynamics that like again it takes its time it like it feels like these characters are distinct that's i think that's maybe the biggest thing that steve englehart is really doing a good job of is like all these characters speak with pretty distinct voices and that's something that's been a problem with Avengers for a while is that they all sound like generic male hero or generic female hero. Yeah. And they all kind of interchangeable voices. Yeah. I like that you call that out. I think that's one of the things that Englehart is pretty good at as a writer, but I also think it's one of the things that makes the defenders kind of inherently compelling is their voices. It's like, it's kind of easier to separate them, you know, from big hero speak, you know, like we've been saying, but I mean, you know what Hulk sounds like, you know, what Dr. Strange sounds like. And it's not easy to get them confused. I think that does help here a little bit. And they start bringing in some of the, like, the ethos of, like, why Defenders exist, period, in the Avengers. And, like, what are in Marvel? What sets them apart? And it's that they're outsiders. Mm -hmm. And they're all people who, like, don't really get along with other heroes, like the Avengers. Like, they um, they don't see teamwork as this kind of, like, inherently good thing or this, like, noble pursuit. They're all kind of opposed to it. Is the right, interesting like, thing. I mean, except Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange doesn't seem so much like that, but Hulk. But even Namor... when he goes to bring him together at the start of the event, like it's like he can't find people. Some people aren't picking up. You know, it's like whoever. Yeah. It's it's one of the things I like about the Defenders is like they can't even get the band together. You know, they and they, they're constantly breaking time. up. Half of them yeah. quit at the end of this again. 
yeah, yeah. exactly so they the defenders gather all the pieces of the evil eye and this is one of the dumbest parts here which is dr strange just lines all six pieces up in the street like mm-hmm. getting ready to put them together and mm-hmm. then he just takes like i'll just take a good five steps back and observe them from a distance like let, let me admire all these pieces separately at a distance everyone back off and then like dormammu's little bat creature swoops down and grabs them all and it's, yep. it's, it's silly uh but that gives dormammu the evil eye which gives him this like complete control over all kinds of dimensions and he opens this dimensional rift and monsters pour through onto earth and we're left with like the defenders and the avengers go into dormammu's d- dimension to fight him while and we get this awesome thing this feels like i think literally every marvel superhero is involved here because mm-hmm. the defenders and avengers are off fighting well except the x-men yeah, forgot about them um they're so all did in the Dormammu's... <laughs> for about for about <laughs> yeah. 50 years <laughs> yeah they uh yeah they're the defenders and avengers are in dormammu's dimension fighting him and we get this like cut this cut back to earth where like spider-man the fantastic four kazar ghost rider man thing thanos are all dracula all on earth fighting like fighting off monsters because they don't you know even if they're evil they don't want the destruction of earth i don't know why thanos is there actually but the rest of them don't worry about it no it is it is definitely like this is a marvel event before we classified things it it felt very endgame to me like yeah genuinely made me feel like oh man this feels very like you know, everyone, everyone, everyone plays this club cranium. Like, I think at the, the end there. Yeah, totally. I think it's the the ending makes me wish that you didn't spend that we didn't spend quite as long on the hero versus hero fights because I think there's there's a lot more. Oh, this to is... me, it's a lot more interesting to see them all band together on a quest than it is to see them fighting each other and misunderstanding each other, which is it kind of gets tired for me. But I, this I, is I do so quite weird. like where it goes. This is like. This is an Avengers issue I like more than you, I think, because I like that stuff. Like, it lasted. I, I didn't. The one-on-one? Yeah, yeah. It didn't overstay yeah. its welcome for me. It's no, thought, it, like, it's definitely not as bad as some of the ones that we've talked about in the past. No, like, I, I get that you don't hate it. I think they're generally like, okay, yeah. I think I like it. Like, I'm generally like. Sure. Like, I, I'll read this again. I like this whole. It, I think it just took a little bit to set up for me. And I was, yeah. I felt it drag at the first, like two three issues and then afterwards like this just kind of sung for me so i mean i would rank it above avengers kree scroll war pretty easily oh, yeah oh yeah um yeah, no, i'm trying to no, think of like big we really don't have mid, big story arcs to compare to I mean, do you Doctor like this Strange's, more than the coming yeah. of galactus yeah 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 definitely pretty easily <clears throat> yeah well just i mean only because like i think the coming galactus is important but like slight as a story to modernize yeah you know like i think it's a good issue and there's like a lot of really creative big ideas for the time but just on its own like it's like an issue and a half right and it like right feels rushed and there's this whole thing about the punisher in there that feel you know the the frog punisher the original like, the one true punisher right yeah my yeah, punisher yeah. <laughs> yeah uh anyway so th- there's one moment i want to call out in dormammu's dimension uh-huh which is uh that they decide they're they're all gonna like gang up together and blast dormammu with power uh-huh. and it's like Doctor Strange, Silver Surfer, I think Thor's hammer, maybe. Um, who else is there? Vision, Scarlet Witch, and the Swordsman. <laughs> we have this thing where they're all like ganged up together, and you get this shot just from like from their perspectives of just their hands blasting this beam towards Dorm- Dormammu. Yeah. And then over on the left side, you just see Swordsman's sword pointing in that direction, but nothing happening. <laughs> yeah. It feels very much like. If you're just, uh, you know, everyone's singing happy birthday and you don't have much of a voice, 
you're just, you know, lip syncing the words. Mumbling <laughs> in the corner. That's the swordsman. Exactly. Swordsman is he's got like a weirdly he's he's got a pretty integral role in the Engelhart written Avengers issues. Um he plays into a lot of what he's doing with Mantis as well. He's one of those characters that I tend to just like I don't know, sort of willfully ignore was ever an Avenger. <laughs> he's so he's so yeah, sure. kind of strange, but definitely like this is this he's is okay the time here. period yeah. where the swordsman is a relevant Avenger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, oh, and one other interesting thing is that like uh, Dormammu strips everybody of their magic powers, and Scarlet Witch gets a little moment to shine because her powers are not like she talks about like they're mutant powers; they're inherent to her. She's born with them or something, so he can't like do anything yeah. to strip them away she gets her little moment in the sun dormammu and... also does just strip for a good half issue it's very i mean <laughs> i don't want to hit the pun as hard as i'm about to but yeah, you've never do. seen magic mike like this as a yeah. mystical magical dimension of dormammu yeah th- th- okay all right <laughs> do you get it did you did you get it no no i got it i just i, I don't have any yes and for you i'm sorry <laughs> no, you don't have to that's okay. fine I mean, Namor is already ninety percent there. That's that's all I got. Namor's uh, it, always there. Yeah. Actually, I I kept thinking it's it is very funny how Namor refuses to put either pants or a shirt on at any time. Like, yeah. they're just always conducting. It, it's so funny when they're just like they're in a very nice mansion conducting official business, and he's still just in a speedo. If like, you got it, flaunt it. Yeah. Um. So Dormammu is defeated, and the evil eye like passes through Loki, or he gets blasted with this energy bolt which drives him insane and also returns his vision. I don't know if we're going to see Loki insane at all in the club at all, but uh, I'm going to lean no. Yeah. 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 I figured that's uh, not a permanent state of affairs. Mm-hmm. And then we get like kind of a messy wrap up at the end of, I can't remember if it's a defenders or an Avengers issue, but the last issue is, I think it's defenders. Yeah. Because the defenders get their evil eye. Dr. Strange resets everything kind of restores the earth. And then he's like, Oh, let me go look for the Black Knight's soul. And then they all accidentally get transported to the Middle Ages in the middle of, like, the Crusades. And they fight yeah. a bunch of, uh, like, Middle Eastern Muslim warriors and trolls. And it's so weird. And it, it If it sounds like the like, sort of tacked on thing that they don't have time for, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> like, yeah, it's very it weird. It's a very weird button on this whole thing. It kind of feels like that, um, like, Lord of the Rings and the... Uh, uh, the Sharky at the end of Lord of the Rings, where it's just like the entire quest is complete, and now the back quarter of this book is dealing with another minor villain. Like, yes, yes, and also the struggles that you know Hobbiton is is going through in the absence yeah. of these individuals. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, so that's Avengers Defenders War. I think uh, you're definitely into it, which is awesome. I'm a little more more tired by it, but I think it's still pretty good. And I think like we're saying, I so I don't know if I even said, but I would still put Coming of Galactus above it because of significance and the fact that like it's just it's a pretty tight read, you know. So, but yeah, that said, sure. Avengers Defenders War is I don't know it does a decent job of being like a silly not silly but being like a big event that brings everybody in i mean i feel like this is how you feel about secret wars like how much you're into this no i don't know because maybe you're more into secret wars actually now you're under you're underestimating how into secret wars i am yeah now now i'm like worried that people are going to think that i love this and i like it that's i i just feel like on the curve of avengers stories we've read so far (laughs) (laughs) yeah i like i think it's i think it's very good but i'm not like 
crazy about it. I just want everyone to know that I like it okay. I like it pretty good, but not love it. Just leave me alone. Yeah, back off, They've everybody. Just... <laughs> Let the man have his opinions. Gosh, the feedback yeah. we're getting on this not live show is <laughs> tough. Okay, let's go okay. into the next comics we're going to talk about. Um, I think let's do this a little out of order from how we read it. Let's do Rage of the Panther and go you, directly. No, 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 no. Let's 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 go to Tomb of Dracula. Let's just get that out of the way. You don't like my take... my hectic chaos of no, let's just take... jumping around. No, this will be Fine. thirty seconds. Tomb of Dracula and Vampire Tales. So we read Tomb of Dracula number 10 and Vampire Tales number 2. Zach, tell me something. Did you read all of Vampire Tales number (laughs) 2? No, I read the Morbius story and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. Uh, That's more of 72 pages long. It is exactly 72 pages long. It's more, it's, it's part curiosity because holy cow marvel is producing enormous magazines with specific like horror themes in this case of course vampire i mean i really think they're fascinating because you have essays from some of top marvel creators about like old vampire movies they like or about the genre in general it's this thing that just does not and has not existed in any capacity as long as i've been into comics you know yeah like the idea of going to the comic shop and finding uh the marvel special on the marvel magazine on even something more topical like 20 marvel creators write essays about the mcu or something you know like that just does not exist i don't know if there'd be an audience for it or not but obviously it's something they were doing here with vampire tales so like you said they're all like rough black and white scans in marvel unlimited um the two stories that I think are going to stand out in terms of interest, there's the Morbius story up front, which is fine, I think. Oh, oh can I can I mention something? Because this is, this is, I think this gets around the comic censor stuff, because this is like a bloody and mm. blood and like semi-nudity filled, you know, or kind of, actually, there's a very funny shot of this woman, like stripping her clothes off and sitting on a bed and like her butt cheeks are clearly visible except that like to get around actually seeing her butt they just looks like they went in with an eraser and just erased her butt crack but she just has like (laughs) what are clearly like basically most of her butt but just one big double cheek (laughs) is just like a a combo bowling ball yeah Um, Yeah, no i think that's a good point that like doing it in the magazine style maybe opens up some of the yeah, the, the comics. Yeah, because I mean, we see Morbius's fangs like sink into somebody's neck that he's killing and blood coming out of them. That is that's not something we're seeing in the comics. You're sure it wasn't plasma? Which oh is my what God, I've been trying to say. I can't. No, no, now. you've been saying ectoplasm. <laughs> I know, okay? but what I meant to say. Okay, let me clarify. For those who've been following this saga, when we first talked about Morbius, the living vampire, Spider-Man villain, and Amazing Spider-Man 101 and 102, I said he was trying to absorb ectoplasm from someone zach took great umbrage with this very normal thing to say and mm-hmm. it has occurred to me since after re-watching spider-man the animated series episode in which morbius debuts that he sucks out plasma in the cartoon but d- you didn't know because what, it wouldn't d- it couldn't be blood did you not know plasma is a component of blood ectoplasma is something you probably don't know a lot about <laughs> and it's what Morbius God. is doing in my own You're driving me insane. personal space. Yep. Okay. That was the goal uh, of that. So the, this Morbius story. Ma- Wait, no. Nope. Go ahead. I'm Go not ahead. ready to talk about it yet. Oh, my God. Uh, I just also so wanted to call thoughts. out. 1973 is, uh, there's more than one magazine coming out at this time because our old friend Jim Steranko is back to be the editor of Marvel's fan magazine, Foom. 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 Friends of old Marvel. 
Um, so yeah, I'm gonna try to track down a copy of that and talk. That about would it be extra issues. Yeah. That I'd be I mean, very not a, interested in not seeing. Not a physical copy, but oh my gosh, yeah. you got a copy of Foom edited by Serenko? That'd be cool. Yeah, too. I'm, no, I, I mean I'm kind of upset that he's content. back and then not you know doing art. That's frustrating to me. Well, but. so did you notice he's got uh, he's got a story in here in Vampire Tales? Oh no, did he? I didn't. I would have skipped ahead to read that. Yeah. So okay. So that's let's start there. The names. We're never gonna get to this norm. Morbius story. <laughs> it's possible. The names involved of creators in Vampire Tales number two are, it's really impressive. Like, so we got, I'm gonna, I wrote down because there's so many. Rich Buckler, Gene Jonathan Colline, Hickman, Klaus Jensen, John Romita, Jim Steranko, Chris Claremont. Grant Morrison? Early, early Grant Morrison. Mark Evanier, who is uh, one of Jack Kirby's disciples, does a lot of fourth world stuff. Gardner mm-hmm. Fox, Don McGregor, Doug Munch, Roy Thomas. Etc. Etc. Now the Jim I mean, Steranko. Dom McGregor, we're going to see back in Rage of the Panther. Yes, indeedy. The Jim Steranko story is actually a reprint that you can find in color, also in Marvel uh, Unlimited, called Tower of Shadows from 1969. Uh, I didn't include it on the list, despite our Steranko fascination, because I didn't think it was that interesting. But oh, if you're okay. super into him, check it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Morbius is bad, but good. Well, hang on, though, because this story, written by Don McGregor with art by Rich Buckler, the Rage of the Panther creative team, we're about to talk about. Mm -hmm. And it's got cool Uh, layouts because Rich Buckler, very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it looks looks nice for scans of a black and white magazine. Like, you can tell that the art is probably pretty good, but it's hard to, like, get over that just as a – get over that hump of, like, poor quality black and white pictures that are, like – tough to read a little bit yeah, with right. the scanning i think it's definitely a, there's yeah. definitely a perception element here where we can't i can't even evaluate this as a story in the way that i would everything else we talk about because it looks like i took you know a sports illustrated to work threw it on the copier uploaded it and then started an app called dave scans <laughs> what are you <laughs> it looks talking bad. about i'm talking about a new app dave scans i want people to check it out <laughs> Please download, like, and subscribe. This, this entire podcast has just been a backdoor advertising for Dave Scans. Yeah, and finally we got there in about an hour into uh, to MMY73 Part 2. Now yeah. my mission is complete. Peace, bite. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so like, no, I actually think there's an interesting story here. It's like there's a whole cult that wants to capture virgin women at the behest of this like creepy guy who's rooming with some druggies and... I don't know. Like, the characterization is good. I'm not that interested in the story because I don't really care about Morbius and this weird little, like, 12 pages at a time in some horror comic. Like, I can't get that invested in a Morbius story here. But I don't know. It seems pretty cool. Like, I think the second yeah. story here, if I'm remembering correctly, is also the debut of Satana, who is, I think, a John Romita partial creation. Roy Thomas and John Romita? I'm doing this off the top of my head, so I could, there could be some details that are Wait, Zatanna completely from wrong. DC? No, Satana, like Satana. Satan, oh, okay. but a female. Oh, she's, yes, I think you're the right. Daughter yeah, of yeah, Satan, because yeah. she's yes, not son yes. of Satan. Is she the daughter the, oh. of Satan? Yeah, son of Satan is another creation happening right now. We'll like, get there. Marvel we'll Spotlight number twelve. Damien Hellstrom, son of Satan. Yeah, but Satana is like she's going to be around as one of the you know Marvel dark arts type characters. So her her debut is actually here as well. All righty that takes us to wow we spent longer than i expected on too Tales long two. yeah so that's going to take us to the better one tomb of dracula number 10 his name is blade this is an awesome introduction for blade i really like his involvement and his role in tomb of dracula 
He's an extremely fun character right off the bat. This is going to be quite different to some degrees if your if your familiarity with Blade extends to the Wesley Snipes movies, um, which I think <laughs> yes, for a lot of very. people it does, you know? Yeah. But like here he shows up and he's called... This is one thing I didn't know from the movies, which I may or may not have ever seen, honestly. Um, he's called Blade because he carries around blades <laughs> that he can stake vampires with. That's like, awesome. Wood, wooden knives, I think. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he's a, he's a vampire hunter. He doesn't really care about, like, big complicated plans to capture Dracula. He just wants to stab him real good. He's like a stab first and ask questions later kind of guy. He ju- right, he just wants to kill them. And that's actually something that has remained very consistent in Blade's appearances in comics. I don't know if you know this. Mm, that could be kind of spoiling something. I'm not going to say it. I'll save don't it for when me. we get there later because yeah. that's what the club does. But, no, this is very consistent. Like, he's... He kills those vampires. He does not care. He's not listening to your sob stories. Um, in this issue, he he scubas onto a party boat that Dracula's on. <laughs> yep. He scuba the dives onto like the party boat. Whining and dining. Yeah, Dracula's literally a featured guest of this party boat where they're like, hey, check this out. We found Dracula. How cool. And Dracula does his whole thing. He's like, hello, everyone. I am happy to be here on party boat. Oh, don't put that. Don't put that accent in my head. I, I don't read him with the accent. And... That was pretty good. No, no. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> God. Or, like, just so you know, podcast audience, like, I have it a hundred times worse because I have to see Dave's face when he does that. And it's, <laughs> it's worse than you can imagine. That's <laughs> right. You guys didn't have to see me pop in the fangs and throw on the cloak as could, I did that. Popping his collar as he said that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, no, it's, I mean, Dracula, he's on this party boat. He gets creepy with a, you know, a, a girl on the boat like he does. And yep. Blade hops on, tries to take him out, fails. But, you know, he doesn't, like, he doesn't lose. Basically, they both, everyone loses. No one, you know, he doesn't actually kill Dr- Dracula in, in Tomb of Dracula number 10. But they get a good fight in, and uh, they live to see another day. Both of them. Yeah, it's a, it's a good Dracula issue. Like, I think it's just as strong as the ones we've been reading before. Like, this seems like a very solid series. Uh, Blade does not look cool i think that's the big mm. takeaway from this issue he mm. does not look like a cool guy like do you want to describe got... how he looks here by comparison to the the all black everything leather look that was Snipes popularized? I mean, okay well i was gonna bring this up in jun- jungle action but i think the artist's main problem when they're drawing black people uh or just people in color people of color in general is they don't know how to do hair very well Generally, some are better than others, but they have a real problem with like men, like, I don't know, like black natural hair, especially like blades. I don't know. Everyone looks a little like Lionel Richie. We get that like everyone it's has like a that, half afro kind of. But, you know, like it, it falls down and curls around their shoulders. Right. No, hmm. the half afro. I mean, I think the half afro was like a real style at the time. You know, that kind of like. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, big afros for women were a big thing. But yeah, there's just something like a little off about that. They're, they're, I don't think they're doing a great job, like really getting that across. And some of these hairdos are just like they look a little ridiculous. And I think Blades looks a little silly. And also, he's got these goofy dad glasses on. Those, uh, you know, like wraparound sunglasses that are like you know what he one reminds big me sunglass. of is Your dad is my father Wesley. My father Wesley. <laughs> Wesley's <Snipes>. um. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely one point of reference. Uh, he also reminds me of Bulls legend Horace Grant with those goggles, is what I was going to say. I, I was focused less on the hair than I was on the shocking amount of green and yellow in his costume. Yeah, like his, his uh, costume the color flashes. color scheme's not fantastic. It's like green, yellow, and brown. Like 
Um, yeah, look aside, I think he's a, a really cool character. The creators here are Marv Wolfman, Gene Colan, Jack Abel on inks, D. Vladimir on letters, and P. Goldberg on colors. So that is the debut of Blade. He's going to be around for Tomb of Dracula. You know, one thing that is surprising maybe to you, uh, or to myself, I should say, when you're looking at the history of Blade. <laughs> one thing that is surprising to myself. Very normal <laughs> sentence to speak aloud into a microphone, uh, is how, how infrequent Blade is, like in Marvel Comics history, you know? So for having like almost the first Marvel movies, in the kind of the modern consensus and obviously uh-huh. now being a big like feature in, in these phase four announcements. Um, it's really hard to find like blades involvement in, in comics. It's pretty limited. This is the earliest and also like easily one of the most interesting segments of his comic book history is throughout. When I think of blade in comics, I think of him in Spider-Man comics because Morbius is there as well. That's like the only context I can think of for blade. Yeah, no nineties, midnight suns, vampire hunting type stuff is also a, was yeah, a good I... fit for him as well okay that's the vampire section of the pod let's talk now jungle action number six let's go to the jungle two number eight this is we go to wakanda for the return of the king the return of Ch- t'challa this is by don mcgregor rich buckler klaus jansen on inks who we're going to see as the inker for frank miller's work on daredevil uh we got tom orzakowski on letters we're going to see tom as the letterer throughout uh, almost the entirety of Chris Claremont's Uncanny X-Men. Yep. Glennis Vane on colors, and RT, your boy, on edits. What do you got to say about Jungle Action? Jungle Action, I think we're going to... This is unfortunate, but I think we're going to kind of have a fight about this. What? Yeah. You love it more than me? Yeah, we're going to argue about who loves it more. I love it the most. No, I think try. I love it a little bit more than the most, so. Wow. Yeah. Wow. This is <laughs> no, going to be a rough fight. You didn't fall for that. Did you fall for that for like a second that I didn't love this? I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't okay. believe it. Yeah, I know. I know. We got I here in jungle action. I, you had me for about a quarter second. I'll give you that. Uh, we have Wakanda in turmoil following T'Challa's absence. So as we all remember, he's been fighting alongside the Avengers here. For a period of time, and I think one thing we addressed when when we saw that initially was it's kind of weird that he like has abandoned Wakanda, but also at the time was saying things you know to the effect of like not really wanting to be there, and it doesn't jive with the idea of the king T'Challa that I think we prefer, <laughs> you know, and yeah, definitely sure. see in a modern context. But you um, know what's so cool about this is that it it doesn't sweep that under the table. I feel like this is the first time. Maybe the first time that we've seen, like, bad previous writing where someone, mm-hmm. you know, like, I think they just kind of screwed up by taking the king of an African country and just being like, I'm going to fight pickpockets in Manhattan. Like, right. that's my new job. I'm going to abandon my country. And it, like, just felt like they were just kind of brushing that under the table. And it's something. Abdicating it. And they're taking yeah. that, like, messy bad writing and then rationalizing it in the comic and like dealing with the consequences of that and turning it into like fodder for good comic work. You know, like it feels yeah. like the first, like let's take this continuity, old continuity and weave it into something really cool. Yeah, no, it's building off of it rather than ignoring or changing it. Yeah. They, which the simple I think thing is would excellent. be just like the King is back and then we're just into Wakanda business. And, which you, know, you could easily do, but they actually oh, easy, use it but, as yeah. the premise for like for everything that is set in motion is because T'Challa left. 
and everything that he has to do, at least initially, is in response to like reestablishing his presence and reestablishing Wakandan government. And T'Challa has to deal with the fact that he left his country and he kind of set them up in such a way that there was like a power vacuum, which is filled by the villain of the story introduced here in the very first excellent issue, Killmonger. Indichaka. Yeah, or is it Indichaka? I think that's his... Uh, his first name? His birth... Indichaka, his birth name. Uh, maybe. He goes by Eric, which is a yeah, lot he... easier to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Eric Killmonger. Yeah. And like, what blew me away by this... I mean, a lot of things blew me away by this, or blew me away about this, um, but uh, is that how much the Black Panther movie pulled from this? Like, yeah. So much of that movie is there. Mbaku yep. being his, you know, like second in command as military advisor, but also a little disdainful of him. And like he definitely gives him like criticism that that the people around him even seem kind of shocked by. They're like, I mean, How? But I can't believe that, you're speaking that's half to the king of, like that. But it also is kind of valid. Like it's valid. Oh, it's criticism. always valid. But it's also but, like, like you can't say that to the king, though. It's getting pretty heated, too. And mm -hmm. like. Yeah, I mean, that that's just something you see in the movies that he thinks the king is being a little weak-willed. Uh, and then the other thing, uh, I mean, yeah, we see that. We get that scene of Killmonger and the Black Panther fighting in the waterfall and Killmonger yeah. throwing him over the waterfall. Like, it, it's slightly different circumstances, but I mean, that that's like this iconic scene that they took straight out of there. Very cool. Well, and so let's, let's dig into that. So the first okay, issue yeah, yeah. is it builds up to T'Challa tracking down Eric Killmonger, meeting him for the first time, and they fight. And he tracked him down because Eric Killmonger has been, like, attacking these small villages on the outskirts of Wakanda, kind of like, yeah. um, I think, like, taking over all these little villages. And it, the, the threat has been somewhat secretive. And he's, and he's destabilizing Wakanda as a nation. He's, right, yep. like you're saying, yep. he's taking out, you know, smaller territories on the outside, but clearly building something and, and kind of, you know, clearly he is throwing his his cause and his movement in the face of the existing Wakandan government. So they meet, they fight. T'Challa first fights Eric's pet cheetah, which uh, is an epic battle that results in in T'Challa the Black Panther nearly breaking this this. Oh, he does that jaws. Like, that King Kong move. You know when he gets him by the, the jaws. The T Rex's jaws. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, pulls his jaw, but doesn't kill him. Also, the the cheetah's name Prey. With two Ys. Two Ys. There's a lot of, like, <laughs> one extra letter names in this I series. I mean, some, sometimes that makes sense. Sometimes you can, like, enunciate that, but Prey does not like, work. Like, that's tricky. Also, the original Venom. Oh, yeah, right. Venom, Venom, Venom. <laughs> I think I didn't want too many M's there. Um, <laughs> but Eric Killmonger, he's mad about Black Panther beating up his cheetah. He attacks him. They fight. And, I mean, Black Panther loses. Uh, it, Killmonger throws him off a waterfall and... The series kind of goes from there where Black Panther, he has been beat up publicly by this nemesis who is threatening to destabilize Wakanda. And he has to reclaim his kingdom, his power, and kind of his pride because he, you know, he's the unbeatable Black Panther and he was beaten pretty handily by this this new um, threat. Yeah, and, uh, and Killmonger has this retinue of sidekicks. So we meet Venom, who is this man with these like facial differences. He's got like... I think he's just missing a nose. He kind of looks snake-like. And we yep. see that when he was a kid, he got acid thrown in his face. And he he's always feel ostracized because of it. And Killmonger gave him, like, respect and didn't treat him differently. And he's also, um, he's fascinated with snakes. So he uses snakes as a weapon. Uh, and then the other character we meet is Malice. And we don't, um, we don't get too much from her except that she's a Wakandan native who grew up with her parents, like, revering the Black Panther. You know, almost as this, like, god king. And then... 
T'Challa totally let her down and completely smashed that image by just abdicating the throne and, you know, vanishing for a while. So she's, you know, she's just fighting for someone who's like, who she sees as more worthy of her respect, which is like so interesting because they're not totally, I mean, like the Black Panther movie also got this where like the villain's half right, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, except that in here, Killmonger is mining out the vibranium from underneath like he's built a mine system underneath the uh, deposit of vibranium and he's mining out from under it and uh i don't think we know like to what end quite yet but not quite yet he's, yeah he's... so this is yeah this is going to run for a number of more issues so we're going to keep talking about it as it continues i think <sighs> the things it gets right in uh in its first three issue arc is it it establishes and builds like every facet of wakanda in such fascinating ways it makes this this great idea by Stanley and Jack Kirby, and it makes it a real place that feels lived in. It's you can get a sense of the politics, you get a sense of the people, the people, yep. the, and you get culture, a sense yeah. of yeah. the culture. You get a sense of also the geography because they've got these. And I talked, I joked about this in the yeah, cover, yeah, yeah. But like they've got these awesome maps <laughs> that lay out where everything oh, is. The scale and, of those maps is like so ridiculous. Where it's yeah. just like. This is a forest, but then also we see the size of some huts, and it's like six huts will fit in this forest, <laughs> you know, like, and you know, the, this uh, this entire lake is the size of the palace. Like, it's very, you know, don't take it too seriously. I love that I want, stuff though, because I don't. It, did it you ever is read fun. like Redwall or Lord of the Rings. Like, just I always, if you have the map up front, I'm gonna spend time poring over that at the beginning of a fantasy sequence or a fantasy series like that. And just like, I don't know, the ideas of these places we could go in these these different areas of Wakanda. Yeah, maybe it's not like super advanced uh, topography, <laughs> have you ever, but it's fun. Have you ever seen that Onion article about that? Uh, no. Uh, th- the headline called? is, Grown Man Refers to Map at Beginning of Novel to Find Out Where Ruined Castle of Arnoth is Located. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's me. <laughs> that's a good one, yeah. No, I that's mean, hilarious. I fell for it too. Like, it's, it's a lot of fun. I, I was curious... Um, do you know of Black Panther writers in the future who like stay true to this geography? Like, does this? I feel like well, they're, they're setting up a lot of stuff, but like, so definitely the ongoing Tanahisi Coates written run that started in 2016. Yeah, it it pays homage to this in very clear ways, in a number of ways. I don't know that the geography maps out the same way. I think they've kind of renamed and relabeled, but they're definitely, if they didn't take it as inspiration, I'd be shocked. There's a few things on that map that like aren't mentioned in the text of the comic itself that I'm like, oh, that, I mean, I know that from the movie, right? They mm-hmm. talk about the, like this lost land in the mountains of the, the gorilla tribe or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that I know comes up. Um, Something else I wanted to mention here that is, just astounding for this period of Marvel Comics, even for Spider-Man, even uh, compared to Spider-Man, not a single text box is wasted here. Yeah. Like, not or a text bubble, like a speech bubble. Like, all of them are used to purpose. Like, they're talking, like, plot and character weaved in together, and everyone matters, right? Like, you are always learning something new about either the person speaking and their relationship with the person they're speaking to while they're unveiling plot. Like, mm-hmm. it's just so, man, it's so good. <laughs> Yeah, really the construction incredible. by both McGregor and Buckler is, frankly, years ahead of its time. Yeah, I mean, it honestly, really is, I think yeah. Buckler's, he's doing some, actually, like, it's forefront of 70s layout type stuff, where the pages and the way everything is spread and designed is is frequently very interesting and compelling. I would compare it to a lot of the work Jim Starlin's doing around this time period as yeah, well. Sure. They're probably, it's, it's those not, are the two. It's definitely not, like, as bombastically creative as say like 
Neil Adams or um, Jim Steranko has no. been. But like it feels like really well paced. There's a lot of interesting choices in the way that things are laid out. And yeah, it's just like I couldn't. I I mean, besides besides Killmonger's hair, I couldn't really find a flaw with this. You are so fixated. Oh, on his hair, hair his hair is bad. I mean, I I think it like it's long. Why is it bad? I don't know. Well, I mean, because they just like looked at Lionel Richie and was just like, oh, that, that's him. Which as is someone who couldn't tell you the first thing about Lionel Richie. I feel like you and I are having very different experiences reading these comics. I, I think that genuinely, though, like, I mean, I think aesthetically that looks bad. I think Eric Killmonger looks a little goofy. Um, but even besides that, I think there is something to, like, they don't know how to draw people without white hair, you know, or, like, like Anglo hair styles. So yeah, that could be a They don't do a criticism. great job of that. Not all of them. Like, Monica Lynn looks okay, I think. Well, and I, I was think... actually just going to bring her up. So Monica Lynn yeah. is the... I don't know if I'd even call her the love interest. She's a uh, a woman that Black Panther T'Challa kind of brings to Wakanda from America. So she gives us a a New York perspective, basically. Yeah, I wrote about her in Extra Issues when she got introduced in this like Sons of the Serpent issue, where she's like she was the singer being targeted by a white supremacist group in America, mm-hmm. and it was a very like Black Panther centric issue. Um, and yeah, she becomes kind of a, the only reason I included those issues was because I know Monica Lynn becomes like kind of a, a long playing character in the Black Panther saga. Like she's, yeah, there, there's an interesting thing where like, yeah, she's the American perspective on this. You know, she doesn't quite understand like their culture, their rituals, their way of life and vice versa, right? Like her yeah. and Baku really butt heads. Um, Which actually I think is a nice I think it's a nice touch on the series because you get the outsider perspective of someone who doesn't totally understand Wakanda. And I think that's kind of how that's how most readers are approaching this as I would, well, because I would we're being buy introduced. That, I would buy that except for the fact. Oh, well, <laughs> in that regards, yes, it's very good, uh, especially when I compare it to like, um, what's his name? Coop in uh, in the 90s, late 90s Black Panther. Who I think yeah, yeah, we're gonna have some uh, some differences of opinion on that one. I have a feeling. Yeah, but, yeah, we're yeah. Gonna, we'll talk about that. Maybe, maybe I'll For come sure. around or change my mind. It's been a while since I've read it, but um, just having like a black woman, I think, is an interesting perspective. A black woman from America, right? Which is also something that like Black Panther the movie played with. It's the differences between African and African American. Um, I would agree with Monica Lydon being like a good addition to this, except for the fact that T'Challa acts a little a little weird now and then. Like she interrupts his ritual to like take the sacred herbs yeah and uh i said herbs uh take the sacred you know herbs. i say that jokingly because my family has a dog called herbie so i'll yeah. frequently say herbs and spices so yeah, it didn't no, sound I... weird to me but okay, i might be cool. the only one uh, you're you're an audience of one for me dave yeah um, always <laughs> yeah in the middle of this like big ritual to take the the you know the heart plant herb or whatever she interrupts because she thinks something's happening to him and she like shoves the village elder into a rock <laughs> <laughs> like shoves him aside and knocks him into a rock and yeah. Mbaku like restrains her and T'Challa's like, now forget forget about the ritual. I have to take care of Monica and like ignores the fact that she just beat up an old man. And that felt like kind of weird and like out of character for me. I think that was a strange moment that like didn't sing sit quite right. Oh, that's interesting. I actually had a different reaction because I saw it as she's like so, such a fish out of water scenario for her that you see Mbaku like, He's like about to go off the. the rails oh, Mbaku was also her. like way too heated. But yeah. the fact that like T'Challa did not ignore Mbaku's like, did you see what she did to the elder? And T'Challa's just like, please, Mbaku. She doesn't know our ways. And it's like, well, she shoved an old man. Like, <laughs> and the elder's just on the ground, like, 
please, someone, <laughs> yeah. help I'm not dead up. yet. <laughs> not dead yet. Yeah, no, totally. No, I can see that. But yeah, I mean, all things considered, Rage of the Panther is oh. excellent. It's off to yeah, a great start. Great. We're super excited to continue it. And uh, it's it's awesome. Are we reading the, the the rest of it? Is it like nine more issues? Is it 12 long? I want to say I think it, I think the whole goes... thing goes from like 6 to 24. I think Rage of the Panther is 6 to 18 would be my guess. Uh, see, so it goes to 12 on next year's. Yeah, because the issues get, um, they're maybe every two months or something like that. They don't come out every month. Okay. In the, okay, yeah, the MU on, on release dates, at least. We have it up to 12, so. But that's not the yeah, end of the I'm, story, I'm pretty sure. Okay, okay. Yeah, it only goes until 18, or, no, I think it goes up to, like, 24 in Marvel Unlimited, something like that. I don't know. Anyway, I'm looking forward to reading more. I almost don't want too much of it, because, like... I kind of want to savor it. Like I, I'm happy that we're splitting this up over a couple of years because uh, I'm glad I'm I didn't have to read it all at once. Yeah, yeah, totally. So the last issue we read here on seventy three part two. Oh yeah, I kind of thought we were done. I was almost thinking the same. Special Marvel edition number fifteen. This is Master of Kung Fu Shang Chi. Welcome to the club, Shang. And what did you think of Master of Kung Fu's origins here? We got so I should mention right off the bat, creative team: Steve Englehart, Jim Starlin on art, Al Milgram on inks, Tom Warzakowski on letters, and Steve Englehart doing colors. Putting in work, Steve. Good job. Uh, RT on edits. What'd you think of, of Shang's debut here to the club? So this is our first official martial arts in Marvel. Yeah. Yeah. Which I've been pretty excited about. Uh, I've been like really looking forward to this. And I've got like, I got pretty conflicted. <laughs> I, I'm going to be like a, uh, you know, I'm going to be a parody of myself and like, <laughs> You know, I, I couldn't just read this and enjoy it. I have to be a little, like, fussy about the racial politics. Um, I really like this. I just want to say, like, I really like this. I had a lot of fun with this. I think it's a really and, good issue. Yeah. Yeah, and part of it is that, like, it's all wrapped up in this. So let's talk about the story a little bit. Shang-Chi is being raised as this, like, martial arts prodigy by his father, Fu Manchu. Like, and, like, kind, Fu of, Manchu. And kind of as an assassin as well. Right, yeah, but, like, he believes he's being raised on the side of good, you know, like, that his father is fighting evil, uh, and that, you know, that that's his purpose, and his first mission his father sends him out on is to assassinate somebody that is apparently, like, this evil man that's going to stop his plans to, you know, spread peace throughout the world, and he, like, he kind of questions it, that he has to assassinate somebody because he thinks that's bad, but he doesn't question it that much because he karate chops an old man in the throat while he's asleep and kills him <laughs> um, it's which, not a great start for shang chi oh I think no we can it's all an agree. incredible start for shang chi because no one actually makes serious mistakes in marvel and i love okay, that no, like no. yeah start, i'm just saying like, no I, I know ethically I know he yeah, did yeah, karate no. chop an old man in the throat. <laughs> a sleeping old man in the throat <laughs> yeah 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 which i i liked a lot that like because i didn't see that you know, that it was actually going to come to that. You, know, you, don't, that he was gonna... you don't expect him, or I didn't expect him to go through with it before yeah. he is told by the this man who enters the room, um, who's going to be a long player, and I'm blanking on his name, but he's in he's a British oh, yeah. um, like yeah. member of intelligence. And Denis, he, I think. What's that? D- Denis is his last name. D-E-N-I-S, Denis. Okay, yep. Someone, yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah. he wheels into the room, he's in a wheelchair, and he tell, he basically tells Shang... You just killed that man, but here's the truth. And he tells him that his father, Fu Manchu, is actually the bad guy. Now, this is yeah. the actual Fu Manchu, and we'll get into that, I imagine. But um, yep. he tells him he's the bad guy, you know, kind of here's the side. He th- and basically, he just throws Shang into whack. And and Shang has to now consider, like, there seems like there's some truth to your word. This guy shows him his, his broken, mangled legs at the behest 
of one of Fu Manchu's lackeys. Yeah, Fu Manchu's like has a, a, a sumo wrestler lackey who just grinds bones to dust. Yeah. You know, and then he just shows him this like completely pulverized leg and it just like it's such a and good image. And come on, that of, panel, that Jim Starlin of panel of sequence there cuz there's no text when he actually mm-hmm. does the reveal and pulls up his leg, it's great. Really well executed. Yeah, it just does a really good job of like pairing the text and the image and letting you imagine the in between, you know? Totally. Totally. And Shang runs out of the room, jumps out of the window and clearly is like everything there, I know there's is, one very, is no longer true. There's one funny thing about this old man in the wheelchair. I want to say, which is he speaks with this very, like, affected British, you know, posh. Proper, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But he has one sentence that I really like, where uh, Shang-Chi is like, I was here to, you know, assassinate an evil man. And the ma- the old guy says, would to God you were he, murderer, for I am going to blow your brains out. <laughs> Goes from think, Shakespearean to, like, Schwarzenegger. It, it, it really does. Like, <laughs> I love the, the, all the phrasing of this, like, proper... Like fanciful English to like blow your brains out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's good. Uh, but then Shang yeah. has the rest of the issue to kind of figure out what's going on. He breaks into one of Fu Manchu's labs and he uh, fights in a gorilla. <laughs> he fights oh, a really yeah. big gorilla, a super smart that gorilla. Fu had been experimenting on. Yeah, because Fu uh, Manchu is more than like just an evil, you know, an evil plotter. He's also like a scientist who is immortal. Right, that's kind of the thing. Is that like he. Came yeah. up with an elixir for immortality, so he's like a hundred years old. Uh, he also talks to his mother about Fu Manchu and realizes that like his American mother uh, was chosen to be like the scientifically perfect pairing to create a you know it was like you know kind of eugenics to create the perfect baby. Yeah, uh, and she was only interested in you know being with this evil man because they would create like a, a very strong baby. Shang Chi's mom, I think is it, it a character i would like to see explored more because her motivations and like status in this world are kind of fascinating to me you know you the, the lust for a strong baby well kind of yeah like because it's yeah, like foo's sure. foo's the classic bad guy by the end of this shang chi is trying to seek redemption and his mom is just kind of like classic mom but but she's made some <laughs> wild decisions you I know want a dynasty of strong toddlers uh, yeah i mean you want that, right? Like you, you're, you're. I mean, probably by the time this come out, you'll have a nice little strong baby. Well, yeah. I mean, I, are you? I've said to my wife a number of times, "Why are we having babies if not to raise a dynasty of strong toddlers?" Are you forcing your wife to weightlift so that the baby comes out muscular? Yeah. No. It's it's been proven true that the more a wife curls in the delivery room, the stronger the baby will be. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Well, I mean, all through the pregnancy. Oh no! Just you just—that's that's what people say, and they make that mistake. But also, you, you just too. want to do it in the delivery. Oh, I'm doing it all the time. If yeah. the dad doesn't do it all the time, then I—I I don't know how that baby's going to have giant. But the, the mother must be pregnant while the father lift weight lifts weights because how yeah, else right. will the, the baby absorb that genetic information? Yeah, you guys probably can't tell from my very steady breathing, but I've been curling about 150 pounds here while we've been podcasting <laughs> the entire time. God, this is a. Do you ever play Metal Gear Solid? Because this conversation is like straight out of a Metal Gear Solid game. <laughs> I have never played a single moment. But oh, I it's just, it. it's all about like very bad genetic discussion talked about very seriously. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. So yeah, that's kind of it. Shang-Chi um, realizes his father is evil. His father realizes that Shang-Chi doesn't want to, you know, help him in world domination and vows to destroy him, son or no. And Shang-Chi leaves his father's palace to discover that it's just in New York City, like Shang-Chi has just never left the house before. Yeah. 
which is weird because it's like he just left the house to go assassinate a man in London. So did you not notice then? But I don't want to worry about it too much because it was. A fun I've got twist. some questions about Shang Chi's childhood logistics for sure. But it, yeah, it's not the most <laughs> yeah. important thing at this point in time. I think before you get into what you want to say, I'll just say up front: Jim Starlin doing the art for this origin, I think, sets the bar almost unfairly high because the layouts and action in this, I think, are great. Oh. There really are going to be artists yeah. who, like, that's the bar people have to reach, which actually I think helps. This series will then become Master of Kung Fu, will be Shang-Chi's ongoing. And I yeah. actually think it helps Master of Kung Fu because it's like you have to get to this status off the bat or you're immediately, like, seen as, um, you know, a lesser version of what this can be. Because Starlin doesn't stay on the title as artist. I think, I think the highlight of this is the Shang-Chi fights that sumo wrestler that was talked about earlier and it's mm-hmm. just like a couple pages of silent action and yeah. it's just the the movement between shots is super clear like you just get where the you know where their bodies are moving between each still frame yeah they do a really good which is all you need from a martial arts comic right like yeah i mean that that is like if, if that doesn't work the rest of it crumbles i think and you just need to like i mean just like a good martial arts movie you want to be able to feel like you understand what's happening in space right like the worst action movies and kung fu movies are the ones where like it's so highly edited that it just feels like a blur of fists and you don't really like understand what's happening so i think it to- totally nails it on that regard just overall aesthetically it's really beautiful it's like bright and colorful and it uses orient orientalism in a way that is probably i would say problematic and probably you know it's like this very mystical idea of like Fu Manchu and you know so I think spiders and rats and just like random symbols and mandarin splayed around bright colorful backgrounds and I I mean I'm just gonna say like I loved it like I really enjoyed it and the aesthetic is part of that I really like while also admitting that like I think it probably has some issues with like a you know western gaze at this kind of you know like I mean the same thing that's been happening with like Doctor Strange where it's just like the, the only touchstone we have for the Himalayas is oh, it's a bunch of magic monks, right? You know, it's like, it's a very, you know, othering perspective, even if it is, you know, trying to say that they're, you know, extra special at punching. Yeah, I th- I think everything you're saying is, is totally on point. I think Fu Manchu as this, like, because he's a, so Fu Manchu is not a Marvel creation. No, he's, he's by old, this author yeah. named Sax Romer, I believe. And yep. it's created in like, what, the early 1900s, I want to say? Think, like 1910, something like that. Okay. And there's a long history of Fu Manchu representing the, you know, the evil Orient, right? He's the scientific genius who uses all of his discoveries effectively for evil. So Marvel got the rights to use this character. I forget. There was someone they wanted to use instead, and I can't remember who it was. The point is, Fu Manchu is this character that they're able to leverage. And the way, like, I think even at the time they realized, like, well, we're not going to focus on Fu Manchu because this character is already a problem. So instead, we're going to focus on his son, even in the 70s, as they're even with, you know, the Western gaze that you're talking about, which I think is totally what's happening here. Um, and it's, you know, I think today, like, the chances of you seeing Marvel use, a, or like the MCU use a whole bunch of Fu Manchu are real slim. <laughs> I, you, know? you know what's, okay, so yeah, Fu Manchu, the problem with Fu Manchu, uh, the name of my upcoming documentary. Yep. I mean, he he's the epitome of like the yellow peril. Right. He's this like evil kind of like exaggerated slanting eyes. And he's got the, the, the kind of like 
the long little ponytail on the back, like thin ponytail. And he's just like the exact, when you think of like a stereotype of like the evil Asian character, that's him to a T. Um, I mean, I think he's very similar to sixties Mandarin. And that's, that's what I was thinking was just like, why wasn't this just Mandarin? What would have changed if they had, because I mean, Mandarin also is not great. Like the sixties Mandarin, but like Fu Manchu already had a bunch of baggage. Like, uh, I was just reading in, I think in 1972, one of these old Fu Manchu movies was being re-released and it got protested all over the place by Japanese Americans Yeah, in 1972, a year before this. So like this was, you know, Fu Manchu has baggage attached to him in a way that the Mandarin probably doesn't quite. And they can also update the Mandarin. It's not like tied down right. with all that baggage. So why, well, why isn't he just the Mandarin? That's a really uh, good question. I wonder if like, there's no reason the Mandarin couldn't have a son, right? The, no, and they're and also like very similar characters. The only difference is that Fu Manchu is immortal. Besides that, it's just like they're both smart scientists looking to take over the world, and they're not really aligned with the Chinese government. And well, this appears to be what the MCU is going to do because the Shang Chi movie is is subtitled Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. So every expectation is Mandarin is going to be a huge part of this. If they fully committed to just insert Mandarin as Fu Manchu in this rewritten MCU script, it would not shock me one bit. I think that would actually be very sure. compelling. Um, I mean, I don't I, think they will. Fu Manchu has so much, like, I was just on the Wikipedia page, and it was like five years ago, GM tried to uh, put out a commercial that had um, had some tagline of like, from the land of Fu Manchu. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and they canceled the whole thing. because we like. So, I mean, like, it, I think it has way too much baggage and Marvel's too smart for that. Also, can we actually can we talk about that for just thirty seconds? The uh, that the Mandarin's coming back in Shang Chi because because it's awesome. Well, I loved the twist in Iron Man three. Loved it. Yeah. Thought it was great. Yeah. Like same. Totally happy with that. But now that they have a yeah, so the the director has a Chinese background who is like writing the screenplay. I have a uh-huh. lot more faith that you know better than Shane Black basically <laughs> that'll be handled respectfully. Yeah, also, so. this yeah. is, this is a movie with an entirely Asian cast. Like so far, every actor i think has been cast as chinese um which also i'm still like okay cool fine whatever mandarin's coming back until tony leung got cast as the mandarin which is just like do you know tony young i don't he is the number one handsomest man and i love him very much what uh, uh what 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 would people recognize him from a bunch of like i mean if you don't watch chinese movies um like Wong okay. Kar Wai movies, but uh, I think Hero, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he was in Hero. No, that's fine. I'll, I'll take your word for it here. He's in a bunch of those. Anyway, anyway, Tony Leung, Tony Leung is awesome, and I'm super jazzed for the Mandarin to come back. Sweet. Yeah. No, I've, yeah. I mean, this is, yeah, I'm, I am excited as well. I love the idea of them doing it right. I love them changing and like using, again, you can use this special Marvel edition number 15 as some inspiration. I am sure there will also be significant changes. I think everything to do with Fu Manchu is just shrouded in complication. So if yeah. you're curious yeah, about yeah. that, like I'm definitely not the expert, but there's a lot you can look into on the Fu Manchu front. I think as far as why they did it that way, I have to think it's just like we have this license type thing. Like yeah, we've, sure. Like we have acquired this property. We should use it. And I guess there is, even today, obviously, like there's an inherent branding to Fu Manchu. That yeah, you know doesn't sure. exist with the Mandarin in 1973. So yeah, that's part yeah, of yeah. it. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know what? Like, he's a good character. He works well in this. Like, he's interesting. He like the way that they describe him is fascinating. You feel like immediately feel like, oh man, this is someone you don't want to mess with. Like that that one that old British guy's description of him mm-hmm. really establishes him well as like a a genuine threat. Um, yeah. So this is like 
this is a comic that I'm saying, like, I think it's got some issues, you know, probably good to be aware of that stuff. I still really enjoyed it. Like, go enjoy it. Um, and I'm looking forward to, like, more Kung Fu stuff. I'll read some more Masters of Kung Fu. I don't know how much of that is going to be in the club, but... We shall see. So, thanks for listening, everybody. This has been My Marvelous Year 1973 Part 2. I'm Dave. You can find my stuff at comicbookherald.com. And we have all the reading lists you can find uh, for upcoming years. You can find in the show notes. Or you can find uh, Zach Sends Out a Weekly Update over on the Patreon. Um, and you can also find them at mymarvelousyear.com. Com. Thanks to Zasterpiece for our show music. Thanks everybody for support. Anywhere that you might be <laughs> supporting a, the site. I got a Facebook message today from somebody like saying, you know, like that they like the show. They said a lot of really nice stuff, but also mm-hmm. like, hey, I'm really binging the show, and uh, that Zasterpiece song is really stuck in my head. Are you planning on changing it anytime soon? <laughs> uh, you know, I don't. How do you feel about podcast changing songs? Only I, I only like that when it's just clearly like the first song they chose was like. Uh, let's put this public domain song in here. Yeah. So, like, and it's a placeholder. Or my brother, my brother and me just uses ABBA, you know? Like, they just completely rip off a song that they have no right to actually use the use the Bold. song. Bold. Yeah, and uh, so at some point, they, you know, they smarten up as they get more popular. Yeah, so, sure, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, I'm pretty into the consistency. Um, unless oh, no, I, oh, I love thing. it. I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna change it. Yeah. I, you know what also, oh, I try to, just, just a little uh, hint, if your podcast player does the like 30 second skip ahead i do try to time it so that like the beginning of the music playing and when we start talking is about 30 seconds so if you just hit that 30 second skip wow inside baseball from the studios look looking out for the fans it's all about the fans baby and with that said (laughs) i think we're good it's all about the fans enjoy the comics thanks thanks for listening everybody wait no Uh, what do we say on this one see you next year oh is that your other it's all about the comics, baby. That's I just say that so often. <laughs> just walking down the street, like yeah, yeah. Just getting a coffee at the coffee shop. It's all about the comics, baby. And sir, what would you like to drink? This is a Starbucks. <laughs> uh, see you next year. Thanks, everybody. See you next year. <laughs> I, I just said it. It's kind of weird now. See you next year. I said it better. See you next year. Love you. <laughs> Bye. No, that's that's getting clipped. You can't have that. Uh-huh.